Well, good morning once again. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at Copper Hills, and I'm glad to welcome you this morning. Welcome to our church family at home. By the way, these baptisms are like the coolest thing ever, are they not? I mean, they are such a, such a wonderful, a wonderful thing to share as a church family. Uh, it's Christmas time. So what are we going to talk about? Yeah, oh boy, we're sharp. We're right there. That's good. Yes. We're going to talk about Christmas. And I want to do start uh, this series, Original Christmas, by telling you uh, an experience that I had as a young boy right around this time of year. I was uh, born and raised in a part of the world where they have legitimate winters. Like it's cold and it's windy and it's snowy and the icy and it's icy. The roads are treacherous. Uh, the second thing that's maybe relevant to it is I grew up in a little rural community of about 150 or so people and went to school in a two-room schoolhouse. Those are actually real. Yeah. We had four grades in one room and four grades in the other. I was, uh, I think, about eight, nine, or ten years old, something like that, in the third or fourth grade. And in my entire school, in both rooms, there were like 50 students altogether. So we all knew everybody. One Friday afternoon... Um, one of my classmates, who's a senior, so he was in the eighth grade row, eighth grade row, uh, lived out in a farm. And uh, every couple of weeks, they would have to go and get water for their farm, drinking water, because they didn't have a well right on their, on their property. So uh, my 14-year-old friend, Jakey, would get on his tractor, hook up a water tank, a 500-gallon water tank to it, and uh, pull it up out of the valley, up onto the plateau, fill it up, and bring it back home for the family to drink water. Well, this particular Friday around Christmas time, uh, we had just had a snowstorm and the roads were icy and treacherous. On that Friday afternoon, Jakey hooked up the trailer, the water trailer to the tractor and drove up the hill out of the valley, filled it up. And as he came back down, if you understand physics, the tank is now full and it's heavier than the weight of the tractor. And as he comes down the hill, inertia and gravity take effect and the water tank begins to spin his tractor and the tractor rolled over into the ditch and pinned Jakey under the tractor. My dad uh, owned a, uh, a garage, like a car repair shop and uh, the people that found Jakey knew that they needed jacks, chains, whatever it would be to lift the tractor so they could get him out and so my dad got a call about 5.30, it was an urgent call of course and uh, I happened to be there, and I said, Dad, I want to go with you. And he's gathering ropes and chains and jacks and whatever he can find, and I'm pestering him to go with him. And finally, just to make it easy, he said, get in the car, let's go. So off we drove a couple of miles, three miles or so, to where the tractor was overturned. And I will never forget the picture of Jakey pinned underneath the tractor. All I could see was his torso and his legs. But I also saw a group of men and his dad clawing away with bare hands at the snow and the ice and the frozen dirt because he had to be rescued. He had to be rescued. It was an all-out effort to rescue him. Jakey didn't make it in that occasion, but the rescue effort was just as sincere because what if he would make it? Now, why do I tell you all that? Merry Christmas, right? Because we have a propensity to complicate Christmas. And we make it something other than a simple rescue story of humanity. This is what it is. Sarah said it in her story. 
that she's had that sense of God rescuing her. Well, that rescue opportunity is for all of us. But here's what happens. We're so prone to complicate things at Christmas and add things to the story that we feel are necessary or important or should be part of it. And they're all good. They really are. But here's the beauty of this rescue story. It can stand on its own. In fact, it's most brilliant when it stands on its own. Where it isn't got a bunch of stuff we add to it. Go ahead and like, do all those things. Let's do those. But never forget, this is a rescue story. Can I read you for you how the rescue story starts? We're told in one account, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. It could read, this is how the rescue of humanity began to happen. And it began with the birth of Jesus. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. What was that conversation like with her mom and dad? Uh, Mom and dad, we need to talk. Like, this is a conversation parents of 15 and 16-year-old girls never want to have. But she has it with her parents. And then she has probably at some point a conversation with Joseph, though Joseph, fortunately for him, maybe, is preempted with a visit. The next verse in this section says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her. If you don't understand that, uh, they weren't married. They had, all the, they had all the elements of marriage, except they didn't live together because that was the Jewish law at the time. And when he discovered, when Joseph discovered this, he had a legal right to divorce her. But he chooses not to do that. Uh, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's all kinds of weird. That just is. Like it's one thing to hear that your fiance is pregnant and you're not the dad. Okay, you got to absorb that for a little bit. And then on the heels of that, you get this one. Yeah, the dad's the Holy Spirit. What? How does that work? Like that's just strange, right? And Joseph is trying to figure this out. The angel goes on, she'll give birth to a son and you'll, you are to give him the name Jesus. And now Joseph, who was smart enough in the Jewish tradition, knew what was, this was about because he'll save his people from their sins. That's like Messiah language. That's like the long-awaited savior of the world language. Your girlfriend, your fiance is pregnant, you're not the father. Pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have a son who's not going to be an engineer or a rocket scientist. He's going to be the savior of the world. Is that a little much to take in at one time? I think so. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And this is now a throwback, 730 years to a quote from that era, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now Joseph considers this. And when he woke up, this is what he did. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. You could underline that. That's incredible. Would you do that? The Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. This is our rescue plan. And it stands all on its own. And it's the most brilliant thing. It's the most hopeful thing. It is 
It is the story of God seeing a broken world living independent of him and saying, that's not okay. I'm going to rescue him. He had tried a variety of other means along the way. And now he makes this definitive statement of coming himself as an embryo. I mean, this is an amazing story. You don't have to add to it. You don't have to embellish it. You don't have to make more of it than what it is because it stands on its own. Here's the thing that interests me with it this year. This quote that we read, I'll put it up again. It's uh, all this took place and then he goes on. He says uh, this quote from 730 years earlier, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel. I was struck with where that came from. Do you know that that is actually uh, uttered by a prophet 730 years earlier as part of a rescue plan for Israel? It's really a fascinating story. You interested in looking at it? Okay, we're doing it anyways, even if you aren't. Okay, so this is where it starts. It says, when Ahaz, the king of Judah, King Razin of Syria, and Pekah, king of Israel, this is again from Isaiah 7, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Okay, a little context. Here's a map of this region, this area, era, uh, area at the time. So you can see Judah in the gold or the yellow to the south. The blue area is Israel. Now, what's going on? I thought Israel was one country. Well, it is. We just recently did a series uh, around Psalm 23 and King David and his kingship over Israel. He united the whole country into one. And then in subsequent generations, there were some family squabbles and some breakdown and ultimately some civil strife, strife develops in Israel. And the 10 tribes that made up that blue area decide to secede from the rest, leaving two tribes, because there were 12 altogether in Judah. They promptly changed their name to Israel, and Judah changed their name to Judah. Okay, so now you have this country split in part, and they're, as the generations go, they're now in a locked, heated civil war against each other. And the king of Israel, Pekah, decides that the best way to defeat Judah is to hook up with King Razin of Syria, which is a pagan nation, which you would think a God-centric nation like Israel would not connect with a pagan nation, except Israel and Pekah had gone sideways with God. And so it made sense that they would gather together and they would come against Israel. And this is what they do. It's a fascinating story. Uh, if you want to do a study over Christmas and you're not sure, like, what should I like, think through this Christmas? You can go through the actual story recorded in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. It's a fascinating story. This is out of which this prophecy takes place. Let's go on with the prophecy. It says, now the house of David, that's Judah, was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, that's Israel. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Of course they were. This was not going to be the first skirmish. In some months or maybe even years earlier, those two kings, the two kings of Israel and Aram had gotten together and they had marched on, on Judah right to the walls of Jerusalem and they had almost taken it when King Ahaz is able to beat them back. But on that occasion, the scriptures tell us King Ahaz lost 120,000 of his soldiers. Since 9-11, we tragically as a country have lost 7,000 fighting that war. 120,000 in one day. Plus, 
200,000 of his citizens, mostly women and children, were taken from Judah into Israel. It's a tragic day. So of course Ahaz has every reason to be afraid. Like what if that happens again and I'm absolutely wiped out because that was a very real possibility. And so this prophet comes to him and says this, the Lord said to Isaiah, go Go out, you and your son Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. That's why you know it's not myth. There's just too much detail here. Say to him, be careful, be calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. When a prophet comes to see you, I don't know if any of you have had that experience, or an angel shows up in the middle of the night, like, he probably has something to say to you, okay? This is what he has to say to Ahaz. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says they have. This threat will not happen. It won't take place. However, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. To which this has got to be good news to Ahaz, right? Like you're, it's not going to happen. You're going to be saved from that. It's a rescue plan, Ahaz. And of course, to which Ahaz would say, this is great. Where do I sign up for this? Because I want to be protected. I want you to rescue me. And this is what he actually says. He says, again, the Lord spoke to him. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights, because this prophet apparently knows some things that Ahaz, in fact, is maybe not so sure that God's going to do this. And so he says, Ahaz, God is so good to you. He's going to give you an opportunity to pick some kind of sign. Just pick whatever you want, however outlandish, however extreme it is. Pick a sign that God can show to you that he's going to do what he said he would do. He's intent on rescuing you, Ahaz. Just go ahead. I know you're uncertain. What would it be? And of course, Ahaz sits there and thinks and goes, oh man, I'm going to make this good. This is going to be grand. It's going to be fantastic. How far out can I go on this? Well, actually, this is what he says. But Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. (laughs) What's he been doing till now? Putting the Lord to the test. It's kind of this self-righteous idea. God, I want to save myself. I want to be the one that gets credit for rescuing my nation. I can do this. I beat them back last time. I'm sure I can do it again. God, hey, thanks for the offer. I got this one. This whole notion of you intervening and you offering to help, I'm not so sure about it. I think my, I think my odds are better doing this myself, which we do all the time, right? Our first bent is to self-save. That's how we're wired. And God comes along and he says, but hold on. What if you're in a place where you do not have the capacity to save yourself? It's not within the realm of possibility. Ahaz? Would you want to think that over again? To which Ahaz probably says no. And then God in his goodness and grace and desire to rescue, just like those, that dad and those men around that tractor clawing at the snow and the frozen ground to rescue, God does this for Ahaz. He says, now here, you house of David, it is not enough to try the patience of humans. Will you try the patience of of my God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. So Ahaz, you don't want the sign. You want to kind of self-save and do this yourself? I'm coming anyways. 
and there is a baby boy going to be born. Now there's all kinds of controversy, uh, whether this was just an application for uh, what Matthew writes in the passage we read that Jesus is the Messiah. There are some occasions in the scripture, I'll just go like theology for just a second. There are some passages that have both a near meaning in the, in the sense that they're going to happen in the moment that they're spoken, but they have a far truth to them as well. This is one of those. Where there's controversy over what exactly this meant, did it mean that Ahaz was going to have a child that would ultimately rescue the nation, which in some ways turns out to be the case with his son? Did it mean that Isaiah was going to have a son? We're not sure. That one isn't clear for us in Scripture what that is. But the one 730 years later, that one is crystal clear. That is the baby that was born in Bethlehem. Why do I tell you all this? I tell you this because we have this propensity to complicate Christmas and make it something in our sincere attempt to make it grand and make it good. And there are obligations that we feel that are there for us from family and from culture and different places to add a whole bunch of stuff to it. And in in and of themselves, those are wonderful things. I'm not trying to kill Christmas here. But what I would say, in our desire possibly to simplify Christmas... By trying to simplify Christmas and not get it confused, we actually won't. The way you simplify Christmas and make it what it is is go back to the original story and let it stand on its own and then do those other things. But do them in a pace and with the reality that this is, first of all, God coming into the world himself to rescue us to rescue us from our self-saving initiative and desires and, well, in some degree, even our ego and our insecurities that just won't give in to him, just will not embrace his rescue plan like Ahaz refuses to do. Oh, and did I mention Joseph? Here's a guy that gets this bizarre, outlandish, crazy visit from an angel. Your, Your fiance is pregnant, you're not the dad. The dad is the Holy Spirit in that sense, and he's going to grow up to be the Messiah. What do you say, Joseph? You want to act on that one? To which we're told, yep, I do. I do want to. I don't know how it turns out. You haven't painted that whole picture. I didn't know at that point it was going to be a crucifixion, and I wouldn't be there to see it. I don't know what the future looks like, but in this moment... I'm taking it. I'm part of the rescue plan. I'm all in on it. Not going to complicate it. Not going to add lights and tinsel and trees and presents and all that stuff. As good as that all might be. I'm making it an uncomplicated, simple story of the original beginning of a rescue plan of humanity. So you and I will face all kinds of pressure to make Christmas something more to add to it and when we do we complicate it and I'm wondering if we could start right from the beginning of Christmas and just acknowledge a child came into this world who was the Messiah God's plan had started as a rescue for you and me which actually brings meaning to Christmas the story can stand on its own in fact it's most brilliant when it stands on its own so Jesus
for thinking so much of us and not thinking so much of yourself that you would not set aside your glory and esteem and wonder and power to come and somehow compress your godness into an embryo who would become a six-pound, eight-ounce baby who would grow up to be a boy and then a man. And if, Jesus, your life alone was a model of how to live, you did that. But you had something else on your mind. You had the rescue of planet Earth on your mind. And that includes us today. Jesus, where we resist you, where we try to self-save, would you, as we put that away and lay that down, just like Sarah talked about her story, would you bring new life as we humble ourselves and receive the rescue plan again or renew that in our own minds and souls? Thank you. Oh my goodness, that's so inadequate to say that. But thank you for going to the extreme of rescuing us. Thank you, King Jesus. Amen.